Welcome to Rebecca Reads. Today's story is part two of The Wedding of Sir Gawain. If you have not heard part one, please go back and listen to it before listening to this one. Last week, we talked about King Arthur and whether or not he was a real person. The first stories about Arthur were collected by a man named Geoffrey of Monmouth, a British cleric in the early 1100s. He wrote a book called The History of the Kings of Britain. Arthur was in that book, along with his Knights of the Round Table. In the 1400s, Sir Thomas Mallory took the stories of Arthur from Geoffrey of Monmouth and other sources and wrote La Morte d'Arthur, the definitive book about Arthur for centuries. In these tales, King Arthur and his knights follow a code of conduct called chivalry. In the Middle Ages, chivalry was a set of rules or an ideal life that knights would follow. At least, this is what many people in literature said how knights should live. It included defending the church, which was the Catholic church, being honest, being a champion for good against evil, performing your feudal duties, that meant serving your lord, being generous and respecting all weaknesses. Chivalry is always shown to be a noble way of life and an ideal to look up to. Stories of chivalry always feel so grand and idyllic. I'm not entirely sure if this ideal was lived perfectly, but the stories of it are sure fun. Make sure you stay after the story for this week's poem. And now for part two of The Marriage of Sir Gawain. The next day, King Arthur summoned all the court to go hunting in the greenwood close to Tarnwathlin, but he did not lead the chase near the castle. The remembrance of his defeat and shame was too strong for him to wish to see the place again. They roused a noble stag and chased him far into the forest, where they lost him amid close thickets of holly and yew interspersed with oak copses and hazel bushes. Bare were the hazels, and brown and withered the clinging oak leaves, but the holly looked cheery, with its fresh green leaves and scarlet berries. Though the chase had been fruitless, the train of knights laughed and talked gaily as they rode back through the forest, and the gayest of all was Sir Gawain. He rode wildly down the forest drives, so recklessly that he drew level with Sir Kay, the churlish steward, who always preferred to ride alone. Sir Lancelot, Sir Stephen, Sir Bannier, and Sir Bors all looked wonderingly at the reckless youth. But his younger brother, Gareth, was troubled, for he knew all was not well with Gawain, and Sir Tristram, buried in his love for Isolot, noticed nothing, but rode heedlessly wrapped in sad musings. Suddenly Sir Kay reined up his steed, amazed, his eye had caught the gleam of scarlet under the trees, and as he looked he became aware of a woman— clad in a dress of finest scarlet, sitting behind a holly tree and an oak. "'Good greeting to you, Sir Kay,' said the lady, but the steward was much too amazed to answer. Such a face as that of the lady he had never even imagined, and he took no notice of her salutation. By this time the rest of the knights had joined him, and they all halted, looking in astonishment on the misshapen face of the poor creature before them. It seemed terrible that a woman's figure should be surmounted by such hideous features, and most of the knights were silent for pity's sake. But the steward soon recovered from his amazement, and his rude nature began to show itself. The king had not yet appeared, and Sir Kay began to jeer aloud. "'Now which of you would fain woo yon fair lady?' he asked. "'It takes a brave man, for methinks he will stand in fear of any kiss he may get, 
must needs be such an awesome thing. But yet I know not. Any man who would kiss this beauteous damsel may well miss the way to her mouth, and his fate is not quite so dreadful after all. Come, who will win a lovely bride? Just then King Arthur rode up, and at sight of him Sir Kay was silent. But the loathly lady hid her face in her hands, and wept that he should pour such scorn upon her. Sir Gawain was touched with compassion for this uncomely woman alone among these gallant and handsome knights, a woman so helpless and ill-favoured, and he said, "'Peace, Trokay, the lady cannot help herself, and you are not so noble and courteous that you have the right to jeer at any maiden. Such deeds do not become a knight of Arthur's round table. Besides, one of us knights here must wed this unfortunate lady.' "'Wed her?' shouted Kate. "'Gawain, you are mad.' "'It is true, is it not, my liege?' asked Sir Gawain, turning to the king, and Arthur reluctantly gave token of assent, saying, "'I promised her not long since, for the help she gave me in a great distress, that I would grant her any boon she craved, and she asked for a young and noble knight to be her husband. My royal word is given, and I will keep it. Therefore I have brought you here to meet her.' Sir Kay burst out with, "'What?' me perchance to wed this fell coin? Oh, none of her. Where have I get my wife from? Were it from the fiend himself, this hideous hag shall never be mine. Peace, Sir Kay, sternly said the king. You shall not abuse this poor lady as well as refuse her. Mend your speech, or you shall be knight of mine no longer. Then he turned to the others and said, Who will wed this lady and help me to keep my royal pledge? You must not all refuse, for my promise is given, and for a little ugliness and deformity you shall not make me break my plighted word of honor. As he spoke, he watched them keenly, to see who would prove sufficiently devoted, but the knights all began to excuse themselves and to depart. They called their hounds, spurred their steeds, and pretended to search for the track of the lost stag again. But before they went, Sir Gawain cried aloud, "'Friends, cease your strife and debate, for I will wed this lady myself. Lady, will you have me for your husband?' Thus saying, he dismounted and knelt before her. The poor lady had at first no words to tell her gratitude to Sir Gawain, but when she had recovered a little, she spoke, "'Alas, Sir Gawain, I fear you do but jest. Will you wed with one so ugly and deformed as I? What sort of wife should I be for a knight so gay and gallant?' so fair and comely as the king's own nephew. What will Queen Guinevere and the ladies of the court say when you return to Carlisle, bringing with you such a bride? You will be shamed, and all through me. Then she wept bitterly, and her weeping made her seem even more hideous. But King Arthur, who was watching the scene, said, Lady, I would fain see that knight or dame who dares mock at my nephew's bride. I will take order that no such unknightly discourtesy is shown in my court." and he glared angrily at Sir Kay and the others who had stayed, seeing that Sir Gawain was prepared to sacrifice himself, and therefore they were safe. The lady raised her head and looked keenly at Sir Gawain, who took her hand, saying, "'Lady, I will be a true and loyal husband to you if you will have me, and I shall know how to guard my wife from insult. Come, lady, and my uncle will announce the betrothal.' Now the lady seemed to believe that Sir Gawain was in earnest, and she sprang to her feet, saying, "'Thanks to you, a thousand thanks, Sir Gawain, and blessings on your head. "'You shall never rue this wedding and the courtesy you have shown. "'Wend we now to Carlisle.' "'A horse with a side-saddle had been brought for Sir Gawain's bride, "'but when the lady moved it became evident that she was lame and halted in her walk, "'and there was a slight hunch on her shoulders. "'Both of these deformities showed little when she was seated, 
But as she moved, the knights looked at one another, shrugged their shoulders, and pitied Sir Gawain, whose courtesy had bound him for life to so deformed a wife. Then the whole train rode away together, the bride between King Arthur and her betrothed, and all the knights whispering and sneering behind them. Great was the excitement in Carlisle to see that ugly dame, and greater still the bewilderment in the court when they were told that this loathly lady was Sir Gawain's bride. Only Queen Guinevere understood, and she showed all courtesy to the deformed bride, and stood by her as her lady of honor when the wedding took place that evening, while King Arthur was groomsman to his nephew. When the long banquet was over, and bride and bridegroom no longer need sit side by side, the tables were cleared, and the hall was prepared for a dance, and then men thought that Sir Gawain would be free for a time to talk with his friends, but he refused. "'Bride and bridegroom must tread the first dance together if she wishes it,' quoth he, and offered his lady his hand for the dance. "'I thank you, sweet husband,' said the grim lady as she took it, and moved forward to open the dance with him. And through the long and stately measure that followed, so perfect was his dignity, and the courtesy and grace with which he danced, that no man dreamt of smiling as the deformed lady moved clumsily through the figures of the dance.' At last the long evening was over, the last measure danced, the last wine cup drained, the bride escorted to her chamber, the lights out, the guests separated in their rooms, and Gawain was free to think of what he had done, and to consider how he had ruined his whole hope of happiness. He thought of his uncle's favor, of the poor lady's gratitude, of the blessing she had invoked upon him, and he determined to be gentle with her, though he could never love her as his wife. He entered the bride-chamber with the feeling of a man who has made up his mind to endure, and did not even look towards his bride, who sat awaiting him beside the fire. Choosing a chair, he sat down, and looked sadly into the glowing embers, and spoke no word. "'Have you no word for me, husband? Can you not even give me a glance?' asked the lady, and Sir Gawain turned his eyes to her where she sat. And then he sprang up in amazement, for there sat no loathly lady— no ugly and deformed being, but a maiden, young and lovely, with black eyes and long curls of dark hair, with beautiful face and tall and graceful figure. "'Who are you, maiden?' asked Sir Gawain, and the fair one replied, "'I am your wife, whom you found between the oak and the holly tree, and whom you wedded this night.' "'But how has this marvel come to pass?' asked he, wondering, for the fair maiden was so lovely that he marveled that he had not known her beauty even under that hideous disguise. "'It is an enchantment to which I am in bondage,' said she. "'I am not yet entirely free from it, but now for a time I may appear to you as I really am. Is my lord content with his loving bride?' asked she, with a little smile, as she rose and stood before him. Content, he said, as he clasped her in his arms. I would not change my dear lady for the fairest dame in Arthur's court, not though she were Queen Guinevere herself. I am the happiest knight that lives, for I thought to save my uncle and help a hapless lady, and I have won my own happiness thereby. Truly I shall never rue the day when I wedded you, dear heart. Long they sat and talked together, and then Sir Gawain grew weary, and would fain have slept, but his lady said, "'Husband, now a heavy choice awaits you. "'I am under the spell of an evil witch "'who has given me my own face and form for half the day "'and the hideous appearance in which you first saw me for the other half. "'Choose now whether you will have me fair by day and ugly by night, "'or hideous by day and beauteous by night. 
The choice is your own. Sir Gawain was no longer oppressed with sleep. The choice before him was too difficult. If the lady remained hideous by day, he would have to endure the taunts of his fellows. If by night, he would be unhappy himself. If the lady were fair by day, other men might woo her, and he himself might have no love for her. If she were fair to him alone, his love would make her look ridiculous before the court and the king. Nevertheless, acting on the spur of the moment, he spoke, "'Oh, to be fair to me only, be your old self by day, and let me have my beauteous wife to myself alone.' "'Alas, is that your choice?' she asked. "'I only must be ugly when all are beautiful. I must be despised when all other ladies are admired. I am as fair as they, but I must seem foul to all men. Is this your love, Sir Gawain?' And she turned from him and wept. Sir Gawain was filled with pity and remorse when he heard her lament, and began to realize that he was studying his own pleasure rather than his lady's feelings, and his courtesy and gentleness again won the upper hand. Dear love, if you would rather that men should see you fair, I will choose that, though to me you will be always as you are now. Be fair before others, and deform to me alone, and men shall never know that the enchantment is not wholly removed." Now the lady looked pleased for a moment, and then said gravely, "'Have you thought of the danger to which a young and lovely lady is exposed in the court? There are many false knights who would woo a fair dame, though her husband were the king's favorite nephew, and who can tell? One of them might please me more than you. Sure I am that many will be sorry they refuse to wed me when they see me to-morrow morn. You must risk my beauty under the guard of my virtue and wisdom, if you have me young and fair.' She looked merrily at Sir Gawain as she spoke, but he considered seriously for a time, and then said, "'Nay, dear love, I will leave the matter to you in your own wisdom, for you are wiser in this matter than I. I remit this wholly unto you, to decide according to your will. I will rest content with whatsoever you resolve.' Now the fair lady clapped her hands lightly and said, "'Blessings on you, dear Gawain, my own dear lord and husband. Now you have released me from the spell completely, and I shall always be as I am now, fair and young, till old age shall change my beauty as he doth that of all mortals. My father was a great duke of high renown, who had but one son and one daughter, both of us dearly beloved, and both of goodly appearance.' When I had come to an age to be married, my father determined to take a new wife, and he wedded a witch lady. She resolved to rid herself of his two children and cast a spell upon us both, whereby I was transformed from a fair lady into the hideous monster whom you wedded, and my gallant young brother into the churlish knight who dwells at Tarn Wathelin. She condemned me to keep that awful shape until I married a young and courtly knight who would grant me all my will. You have done all this for me and I shall be always your fond and faithful wife. My brother, too, is set free from the spell, and he will become again one of the truest and most gentle knights alive, though none can excel my own true knight, Sir Gawain. The next morning the knight and his bride descended to the great hall, where many knights and ladies awaited them, the former thinking scornfully of the hideous hag whom Gawain had wedded, the latter pitying so young and gallant a knight, tied to a lady so ugly. But both scorn and pity vanished when all saw the bride. "'Who is this fair dame?' asked Sir Kay. "'Where have you left your ancient bride?' asked another, and all awaited the answer in great bewilderment. "'This is the lady to whom I was wedded yester evening,' replied Sir Gawain. 
She was under an evil enchantment, which has vanished now that she has come under the power of a husband, and henceforth my fair wife will be one of the most beauteous ladies of King Arthur's court. Further, my lord King Arthur, this fair lady has assured me that the churlish knight of Terwathelin, her brother, was also under a spell, which is now broken, and he will be once more a courteous and gallant knight, and the ground on which his fortress stands will have henceforth no magic power to quell the courage of any knight alive. Dear liege and uncle, when I wedded yesterday the loathly lady, I thought only of your happiness, and in that way I have won my own lifelong bliss." King Arthur's joy at his nephew's fair hap was great, for he had grieved sorely over Gawain's miserable fate, and Queen Guinevere welcomed the fair maiden as warmly as she had the loathly lady, and the wedding feast was renewed with greater magnificence as a fitting end to the Christmas festivities. Thank you for listening to part two of The Marriage of Sir Gawain. What was the problem that Sir Gawain faced on his wedding night? What important lesson did Sir Gawain learn? Do you know any other stories where people had to break a spell without knowing it? This week's poem is Sonnet 130 by William Shakespeare. You need to listen carefully to this one. I suggest imagining what he is describing, maybe even drawing it. Then think about how the poet actually feels at the end. What does it tell you about love? The poem reads... My mistress' eyes are nothing like the sun. Coral is far more red than her lips red. If snow be white, why, then her breasts are done. If hairs be wires, black wires grow on her head. I have seen roses damasked, red and white, but no such roses see I in her cheeks. And in some perfumes is there more delight than in the breath that from my mistress reeks. I love to hear her speak, yet well I know that music hath a far more pleasing sound. I grant I never saw a goddess go. My mistress, when she walks, treads on the ground. And yet, by heaven, I think my love as rare as any she belied with false compare. And that is another episode of Rebecca Reads. I sure do enjoy having you share these stories with me. Share them with your friends and talk about them with your parents. The thing about stories and poems is they are so much more fun when you talk about them and share them with others. Keep reading and join me next week for another episode of Rebecca Reads.